So we're talking about attribution again. Yes, indeed. Does that give me the opportunity to use my more for support than illumination joke again? No, it doesn't, Simon. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of What's Mops Got to Do With It, the marketing operations podcast that's trying to get to the bottom of what marketing operations looks like in the corporate landscape. I'm Carla Wentworth. And I'm Simon Daniels. And since our last episode, where we had the wonderful uh, second half of the the Daniels family uh, with us, what on earth has Toby done, Simon? Yes, uh, he has ruptured his Achilles tendon playing tennis, which makes him sound very um, active (laughs) and virile, but it turns out maybe not so much. So um, best wishes to him for a, um, a speedy recovery to get out of the boot that befalls everybody who has that particular injury and uh, for the onward recovery and physiotherapy and everything else. Absolutely. So, and it was nothing um, to do with us. Uh, I don't think so. Good. No, um, as, as intense and strenuous as, as the podcast is. I don't even think that would... uh, would Or he was running, running to get as soon as the episode dropped, running to listen to it. Oh, you said (laughs) tennis, didn't you? Running running to listen to it, yeah. Running away. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah. Well, thanks for mentioning it. And uh, I'll I'll say... Best wishes. Right. Well, let's have a quick chat about uh, or a quick rundown on who we're speaking to. So in this episode, our marketing leader guest is Stefan Hedebrandt, Chief Marketing Officer and Co-Founder at Marketing Attribution Solution Provider, Dream Data. Marketing Operations Leader is Helene Hornicker, who's Head of Marketing Operations at Sync. And of course, we chat with our friend, independent stateside marketing operations consultant and principal at Mustang Martek, Courtney Makara, as we grab a virtual coffee with Courtney. And talking of LinkedIn, where you saw Toby's little accident. His um, boot. His boot. (laughs) Another many time LinkedIn or or frequent uh, LinkedIn poster, our friend and previous guest, Daryl Alfonso, has actually been writing on Martech, the um, marketing technology um, website. And um, I I wrote a little response to something that he'd put together. And one one point that he made within that, that I thought might be worth having a quick conversation about was the perception of marketing operations and the importance of making sure that um, we, we make sure that the rest of marketing and, and the business uh, in general really understands what uh, what marketing operations is all about. Um, so often we get a bit relegated or pushed into the corner, sometimes even referred to as the IT of marketing, which um, always uh, rubs me up the wrong way a little bit. Um, what do you think, Carla? How, how, uh, how do you know you what? Uh, when I think about marketing operations over the last, dare I say it, 25 years, I'll take IT of marketing because mm-hmm. we were always known as admin of marketing or the factory of marketing. So right. IT feels like quite an upgrade but I <laughs> a big upgrade but I fully agree it it's almost uh, a, a, a pigeonhole a box to put us in that um, is so much more than IT um, yeah. even if you do consider MarTech to be mm. the thing 
Mm. Um, it's so much more than that. Well, yeah, I suppose it, that's exactly it, isn't it? it? It risks, again, falling into the marketing operations is MarTech. Mm. And, and of course, as I'm sure we've discussed, it, it is so much more than that. So um, nothing against IT, as always, but I just wouldn't want MOPS to be put into that um, limited um, container. No, d- definitely. And I was only having a conversation with somebody today, actually, about best practice uh, marketing organisations and what they look like. And somebody pulled out this model that had, oh, I can't even tell you, maybe 20, 30 boxes on it that were all specific specialisms or, or roles or teams, if you'd like, within a marketing department. And I almost feel like, we could do exactly the same with marketing operations right now. Maybe not 20 or 30, but I reckon that we could put a good few boxes on the, this is what we do, and, and IT slash MarTech being just one of them. In fact, you could probably put some boxes inside that as well. Certainly, in terms of the definition, you could you could cover a number of different areas. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think we're just going to grow and grow in marketing and marketing operations. And we're also, we're going to see some of the marketing teams morphing into the operations teams um, and maybe morphing the other way back as well so I think I think Daryl's absolutely right in what he's saying it times are changing what we need to be do is is front and center we need to be sure that people understand um, what we're here for absolutely agreed well with that let's move on and get to our first guest right let's get to our marketing leader guest and who's joining us today Simon Well, I feel like we're getting two for the price of one today, Carla, as we're speaking to not only a CMO, but also the co-founder of a revenue attribution solution. So I know we're in for a very interesting conversation. A self-certified growth hacker with a successful track record scaling businesses, including Upwork and Airtame. Please welcome to What's Mops Got to Do With It, Stefan Hedebrandt, Chief Marketing Officer and co-founder at B2B Revenue Attribution Platform, DreamData. Stefan, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Simon and, uh, and Carla. I'm really looking forward to the, the conversation. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's great to uh, have, have the chance to, uh, to, to talk on the subject of, of attribution, the, uh, <laughs> the, hot, the hot topic. Um, yeah, what, what is it? How do we do it? How do we do it, Stefan? How right. do we get perfect attribution? Question number one, only question. We've only, we've only got a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't answer that. Let's, no. let's start with, um, a, tell us a little bit more about Dream Data and, uh, and, and the solution that you have there. And you, 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 can, you can answer Carla's question in terms of, yeah, how, how do we do attribution? <laughs> yeah, I think I can run through quickly the, the founder story, which I think most yeah. of you, uh, both you and uh, your listeners can relate to. Uh, sure. It's kind of twofolded. So I come from a background as a, a B2B marketing leader, and I've been part of, uh, you know, going from having spending zero euros on ads per month to spending hundreds of thousands of euros on ads mm. per month. <laughs> and as you put in the first 10,000 euro, you feel like fairly certain about, oh, now something is happening here and here. <laughs> but as you put in the last 10,000 euros, uh, <laughs> you're less secure and like right. not really what are we sure that it's right? hitting. Yeah, exactly. So what, what Dream Data is today is, uh, is basically a B2B go-to-market uh, data platform which means we try to, any digital touch you have about your customer journeys, we try to put into one data warehouse. We try to clean it up and join it together. So it gets unsiloed and you get like one time out of every touch of every account. And uh, 
when you have that timeline cleaned up, so it's an account-based data model, so it's not individuals, it's really accounts. And what you can use that for is really, uh, is there any ads that consistently are present that move towards becoming sales qualified leads or deals you win, or is there certain stuff that move deals from one stage to another, et cetera? This is not giving you 100% of the truth just to already get started there, but you're looking for something that is statistically you know, somewhat valid that can confirm your gut feeling and what you're already seeing and gives you the confidence to do more of it or do less of it because sometimes you know, ads are just a, <laughs> a waste of money as well. Right. You, do you know what you, you're saying that, Stefan? I remember vividly some time ago it feels like it was yesterday but it's probably more like 10 years um <laughs> i've just aged myself there um but having conversations about attribution and and i remember the words coming out of my mouth you should be able to account for every penny of marketing spend and the return that it brings you and now i don't think i would ever say that because it's so complex and and so digital yeah. and and so influenced but but what do you think should marketers even bother to strive and um, for knowing what, what what their marketing spend influences on attribution, or is it more complex than that? So that I, I normally talk about uh, like a three-step approach to it. First of all, I believe really marketers should be able uh, to come up with a narrative of why are you doing these things and how does this connect to revenue? <laughs> then secondly, they need to test that narrative up against their colleagues and their, you know, their networks, get those critical questions. I'm seeing these ads, we're doing these things and it looks to be working. And then at the end of it, you also need to provide the proof in the form of data that it's true that what you're seeing. Now, uh, we're not trying to produce science here. We're just trying to get you know data that we can act upon in a business. So that means that if something needed to be scientifically correct, you may, might need 10,000 clicks. But if you can see after the first two or 300 clicks that this ad has not produced a single email sign up on our website, or it has actually produced two demo calls, then it's enough for you to act upon it. Mm. So, but I think, I really think that just the sheer exercise of actually coming up with a, like a narrative of why are we doing these mm. things? Does it logically make sense and test it against your CFO, test it against your salespeople, test it against the fellow marketers. And if you then want to spend a lot of money on it, then you actually need to come with the data that explains, I have proof it's working. We should be able to put more money into it and so forth. So the more money you want to spend, the more explanation and evidence that you're going to need to, to do something. Do you know, and I think that's a really good way of, of looking at it because too often I think we make this difficult with attribution is that we're trying to, to prove so many things that it stops us from actually doing anything. It is the marketer's responsibility. You're going out and you're spending a whole lot of money. So you better have that story ready for, mm. you know, you know, we don't have unlimited funds and we can only spend our money once. So it's, is it better that we get another salesperson or another engineer? Or is it really your marketing campaign that this company should be putting our money into? And I, I, I like I like the piece about, um, I don't know whether it's not exactly diminishing returns, but the, the notion that, you know, the first X, you can be confident you're going to get something out of it. But the second X, um, you know, is, is that delivering a, a marginal gain? and you know what what's working and so on and i think that's that's where it gets really important because but I, uh, yeah i think it... diminishing returns is super true simon okay because like it that goes across all marketing mm -hmm. yep at you know you can select 
the perfectly fit customers for your product, which is maybe, I don't know, 500 companies in the world. Right. Then you run, run ads towards those and the ads work. Yeah. But at some point they've seen those ads 10 times or 20 or 30 times. Then suddenly they, there's, you know, the return goes down. Then you need to reach further out to companies who are not like exactly your core customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And suddenly those ads doesn't work as well as the other ones did. Mm. And that, that go, goes across all sorts of marketing. There's a limit to how many searches a specific keyword on Google uh, every month. Yeah. So when you have exhausted that keyword, you need to go to another keyword, which is a little bit further away from your core, and then it gets more expensive. Right. And so that probably segues into the next question I wanted to ask, which is when should marketers consider a solution like yours? Is it, is it that point when you're moving out of the, the low-hanging fruit and, and you really need to start being able to um, more finely target or, or just better understand the, the return that, that you're getting from, from that incremental spend? A good question. So, and um, you know, I've thought a lot about it. I, mm. I've personally been using our product since we were just the three founders. Right. But I think in the beginning, the better advice is just to get get a lot of stuff done, try mm-hmm. a ton of stuff out. Right. That's right. more important than sitting and analyzing really small numbers. Yeah. But I do think that it is, uh, you know, first of all, in terms of data. Uh, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Right. <laughs> yeah. So if you don't start like like getting the data set up correct and like start storing the data, then you're going to be in an annoying situation one or two years from now. So getting the kind of infrastructure in place, I would do early, but then the deeper analysis, you can maybe wait a bit with. Um, but if you think about it, even a demo call itself uh, from our own account, it takes five visits and then in the attribution sense the first visit can be a click on an ad the next one can be somebody who googles your brand name organically and then you have one two three organic uh, direct visits and that in that original source field in the crm system is going to tell you this was a direct uh, <laughs> direct visit right. no the proof is actually that it was somebody you paid to come to your website and it was actually a good deal because you paid X amount, but and the demo call is worth a thousand pounds for you or a t- yeah. hundred pounds or something like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, that's that's a good point. I mean, I, I did a a project recently where we actually ended up capturing every single touch point and the UTM parameters associated with that um, to make it possible to go back and do that kind of granular analysis. Um, and I'm not saying we had the best plan for what we're going to do with that data, but it, it just seemed like the, the, the right thing to do versus just having the most recent touch, which obviously completely limits you to what you can actually do uh, from yep. an analysis perspective. You mentioned you mentioned data, Stefan, and data is clearly what we're talking about now. But how how perfect do you think that that data needs to be for you to get true attribution really not that good uh, i think a lot of people like they they sit they they wait around for the day that never comes which is the day when the, where the data is just completely cleaned and perfect right uh, i think what what like, when people start using our product it helps highlight that for example but we actually have a lot of duplications in your serum that you should clean up or you should more be like we actually want to be really correctly data driven in our b2b so we're starting this project 
if we then find stuff that is like clearly a mess, then we'll need to clean that up along the way because we've committed to doing mm-hmm. a, a truly data-driven path. Well, the reason I asked that, it was almost a loaded question, actually. I have a bit of a bugbear that people are trying to get to the, the world of perfection before they do something. And there's now yeah. so much data. We've got so much data to collect and so many places to look that it's almost paralyzing us from making decisions or doing something. Um, mm. And I just wanted to qualify. Sometimes I think it's better to do something rather yeah. than wait for it to be to be perfect. Yeah, I would agree with you. And uh, depends a little bit on also which you know kind of business you are. Uh, if you're trying to grow fast, speed is a hundred percent more important. If you're doing, uh, you know, if you're doing infrastructure to like the healthcare industry or something like that, then you probably want to make sure that the machines really work. <laughs> yeah, there's that caveat there. There's that like don't yeah. <laughs> But I would say nine out of ten times it's better to move fast and try stuff and see how it works rather than you know. Now, also, you know, again, the time perspective, getting from zero to eighty percent often takes a little bit of time, and then the last. 80 to 100 takes too long for the value to to be worth it mm. but even even poor attribution or or incorrect data tells you a story and, and gives you information and I, and I think that's another thing that I feel quite passionately about that um even failure in, in this context tells you something and is valuable um that tells you where your next next step is or your next next best action and so what's the role of, of marketing operations here is is this is mops the natural home for, for managing attribution and um obviously we're talking about data and process and, and and martech um so that that seems like where it should sit is is that your experience when when you're uh, when you're selling into into your clients yeah, I almost feel like uh, turning this question around to you guys, but mm-hmm. I can just anecdotally say that typically when we, we're selling our product, the, there's kind of a, a triangle of, uh, of stakeholders involved, which okay. is one is the, the people who do the day-to-day activity in marketing, paid ads, content, etc. Mm-hmm. They have like a marketing leader who is kind of the economic uh, buyer, and then there's the ops people uh, sometimes supplemented by data engineers uh, that right. style uh, validating that you know we're not just mm. bullshitting or something like that that they right. actually validate this solution works with our solution it lives up to the criteria technical and security yeah. kind of criteria etc mm. but it's kind of a um, at least how I see it is typically uh, uh, maybe that's also what makes our sale a little bit complex sometimes it's it's the you know marketers who have the problem mm-hmm. but it's the ops people who actually know how to <laughs> set these things up and like you know connect all the dots and in, in, in all the systems that you guys are, are using every day right um, but it also depends which kind of I, I don't know if i'm speaking out of which kind of uh, marketing ops person you are whether um, some are like uh, you know giving given a lot of responsibility where, where they have to kind of proactively drive the business forward mm-hmm. and others are more like you know order takers that kind of get yeah. some requests from the organization and then either they give a reply or they fix some stuff etc right does that make sense yeah ab- ab- absolutely i mean we we, we talk about that and, and touch on that from from time to time and, and certainly you know from from my perspective um i i always say that while mops is there to deliver a service it, it's it's definitely not just there to, to be wait to be told how high to jump um and with with something like this mops should be proactive and be going to marketing leadership 
leadership and um, you know demand general field marketing or what have you and saying you know we we need to improve our attribution um, this is the solution that that we think we should be uh, we should be um, putting in place um, yeah. would you have any advice for mops um, what what sorts of things perhaps do you wish that, that you got asked or um, you know what what kind of information are you looking for when you're doing a, a deployment are there any is there any kind of advice you can offer there so there's kind of there's the, the general advice is that to look at your organization mm -hmm. and to see whether their actions are leaving digital traces right because if if it's not like leaving digital trails uh you know that could be in the form that you don't just ship emails from your private Gmail. You right. use an automation platform. Yeah. When you send send the emails, you use UTMs. Uh, when customer success takes uh, requests coming in, they use a platform as well. You force salespeople to use a calling software, either from inside of HubSpot or you know AirCall or something like that. Making sure that the behavior is not, you know, just completely cowboy. <laughs> yeah. The behavior. Yeah. Uh, right. And then at least what we see, it's, it works best for us when people uh, go with uh, proven vendors. And what I mean is that in the sense of, uh, you know, do go with HubSpot or Salesforce or Pipedrive, you know, Microsoft mm. Dynamics, the established players, rather than finding some fringe player that never integrates within any of the other uh, platforms. Right. So, so for us to deliver our product, we're really depending on people using, you know, fairly standardized tools um, yeah. yeah no that makes sense and, I, and that comes back to the database doesn't it in, in terms of being able to collect the the, the right data and, and have those touch points and uh, and so on so uh, yeah I think that uh, I think that makes sense yeah and talking about data collection and, and the beast that we have so let's <laughs> talk about cookies um, the forthcoming yeah. browser privacy measures uh, that are heading our way and that MOPS people are actually busying themselves talking about, but I'm not sure they're busying themselves doing anything about it. Do you think this is <laughs> going to make attribution harder? I think it depends who you are uh, in that sense. So though I think those who are really in trouble are the ad platforms mm -hmm. because they sit on the outside, pushing traffic in, trying to understand what's going on. A service like ours, uh, you know, we're a first party uh, data processor. So we just work with the data that you collect. This also means that when we we sit as a statistical uh, cookie, we set, we set it as your cookie, but also in the local storage. And what we can see is that it's not really getting deleted. Those Apple and the co is trying to hit is kind of those who are doing uh, not so pretty uh, stalking of, uh, of people. Right. So uh, somebody like us, we sit actually on the website collecting behavior about users where we you can see where is it coming from but also what is it becoming um, down the sales pipeline and know? it's going to be hard for some people and not hard for others yeah and probably yeah. probably not not hard for those people that are that are kind of doing the right thing already mm -hmm. so uh, that's uh, the, the good the good message i think yeah and i think we'll see you know also at running ads will be more based on uh, instead of like I still remember the good old days where you can do 180 days retargeting and people were on your website because the cookie was just sitting there. Right. But right. I think nowadays we'll see much more, uh, you know, you have to collect the email first, then you can run ads towards that email on different social media. Mm. Because we know the account, then we can run account-based ads on LinkedIn afterwards. So, you you know, 
if the cookie stops working, you know, it's the cat and mouse game. And we'll try to find other ways to, to keep targeting the people we're trying to, to get in front of. So um, as a CMO yourself, um, what, what are your wider thoughts on, on the contribution of, of marketing operations um, within, within attribution um, and, and, and marketing more widely? How, how, do, you, how do you work with MOPS um, in, in your role? Actually, my my former company uh, before Dream that I <laughs> we had a, a a guy who were doing mobs without us actually knowing that it was mobs. He was the the guy right. in the commercial commercial team knitting everything together from like a technical point of view, making sure data was synced across all the tools. If there were custom queries we needed made, he was doing this. So actually, we. I think this is like it's like six seven years ago, and where mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, I'm not sure Mops necessarily had a name back then. Right. But he was like fundamentally crucial for us. We grew from like ten to a hundred employees, and he was just constantly making sure all the systems work. Yeah. So there's there's always somebody doing Mops, or Mops is always being done, whether whether you know it or yes. not. Yeah. Whether you're Mops or not, it's being done. <laughs> exactly, but. Uh, because I live in a very, you know, I live in, live in this little tech bubble where I take for granted that people care about ops, but right. <laughs> so it's right. hard for me to sit outside that world of, I think it's extremely important. And I think you need to be like pedantic about everything you do in terms of like, you know, don't have duplicates in your CRM system, make sure you can track everything that's going on, make sure the data syncs, et cetera. So I feel like it's extremely important. And if you don't do mobs well, you just, you know, end up doing a ton of bad decisions all the time. I think that's a, that's a, a soundbite to, uh, to, to, to live by. <laughs> I think it is. And at that point, we're pretty much out of time. Yeah. And I don't think you could have oh. ended on a, on a better statement, Stefan, that, you know, okay. is required and needed. We, yeah. might, we, we might just use that. <laughs> feel free. We'll make it a really short, short podcast. Yeah. No, um, seriously, we are, we are out of time, but thank you for um, at least trying to make me understand how I can get 100% attribution. Right. Um, we, <laughs> Sorry, you'll we never will, get We'll that. definitely, uh, we'll put your contact details in the show notes. So if anybody does want to ask you the, the silver bullet question, they can. But uh, thanks so much for your time, Stefan. Thanks again, Stefan. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Simon. <laughs> Thanks again, Stefan. Great conversation. Really enjoyed that. Um, I did like the comment that Stefan made um, right up front that marketing is basically about pipeline and revenue generation. I think putting aside even attribution, that's uh, a, a rule that's worth worth living to and, uh, and, and keeping in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked his startup story as well. It, it was a classic combination of somebody had an idea and then there was some serendipity when somebody met somebody somewhere or was introduced and they're like, oh, we should start a business. I've got an idea. Okay. Um, so that's, uh, that's always fun. On, on the attribution point, um, I, I think the, the main takeaway there is that, that one of diminishing returns, you know, the idea that as, as you do more marketing, that's when attribution becomes more important because you really need to try and work out where, where does the extra pound, dollar, euro get spent and, and what, what's the return on that. So um, that, uh, that, that for me was, uh, was the key point. Um, Stefan would uh, be delighted, I know, to be contacted on LinkedIn. Uh, he's also on Twitter. We'll put all those notes, uh, all those links rather, in the show notes. And with that, let's move on. 
So today we're speaking to a well-rounded mops professional um, who in my imagination, but also in my experience, um, I've spent a long time in Zurich and based in Zurich, speaking to us, I'm sure with beautiful lakes and mountains in the distance, um, you know, set your imagination wild, with a solid track record in operations, data, analytics, roles at Citrix, uh, VM software, and now Sync, a self-professed tamer of chaos, um, a phrase I love very much. Please welcome to What's Mops Got To Do With It, Helene Horniker, Head of Marketing Operations, Developer Security Platform, Sync. Thank you for joining us, Helene. Thanks, Carla. Thanks, Simon. The, the name of the company is actually Sneak, which is a little tricky, um, pronounced Sneak or right. Snick, depending Snick. on on who you're talking to in the organization. <laughs> <laughs> and does it stand for anything? Is it a shortened? The internal urban le legend is that it stands for, so now you know, but that's really just urban legend. So it, it doesn't yeah. really <laughs> that, That's the same as Slack is meant to stand for central location of all knowledge or something like that. But it's like, yeah. That sounds okay. made up. Yeah, sounds, <laughs> they, they, they had the name and then thought, well, we need to have this stand for something. I think that's fantastic. And I think whether it's urban legend or not, that's what it is. It makes perfect sense. I agree. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us anyway, Helene. And I will try harder to get the name at least of your business right. But now is your opportunity to tell us a little bit more about Sneak uh, and as about your role and how you got into marketing operations, because uh, we were talking in a little preamble before. You've got quite an interesting background. And I've joined the company a bit more than um, two years, two and a half years ago at this point to really scale marketing operations. But as you mentioned, I have a background in general revenue operations. So the last, gosh, it's been a while now, <laughs> 10, 12 years or so. Time um, flies when you're having fun. Exactly. I started, um, I discovered sales ops a little bit by, by chance at Citrix um, and moved around in the company, ended up doing channel operations, uh, compensation management. And then I talked to our VP of sales operations who was like, I have a role. I don't know yet what we're going to call it, but I'm pretty sure you can do something about it, which was more focused on, on data management. Um, and that's how I led to lead import and eventually marketing operations. Um, and then I, I joined Veeam, where I managed uh, marketing operations at a global, uh, in a global capacity. And then for Sneak, the same thing happened. I, I joined the company and um, the, the marketing team was probably eight people at the time, which was a really small organization. Um, the company was less than 200 people. And at this point in time, we're probably around... 1300 1400 something wow. like that so it grew it grew very fast wow and and how do you I mean on that journey and watching that all around you that that's got to impact you as an employee let alone um as a leadership position to to keep hold of the strategy and the direction of the business so how how impactful is it to grow that quickly it's actually um it, it won't fit for everyone, obviously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, people have to be very um, comfortable with, with change and always have line of sight of what the longer term objective is. Mm -hmm. um, as an individual, as an employee, I think what was quite striking to me is the culture of the company hasn't, hasn't changed that much. Um, when I joined the company, I, I found it very small. I came from much bigger organizations. Mm -hmm. 
um, funnily enough, I, I worked with um, some colleagues who were like, oh, the company is so big already. <laughs> we came from completely the opposite um, angle. And the, the nature, um, uh, the, the level of collaboration really didn't change. We're using Slack, so it's very interactive, very fluid in terms of communication styles. People are extremely helpful and friendly. And, and to this day, when I meet with new hires, everyone's always very um, impressed by, by the culture. Um, now, looking more at balancing out you know, the, the, the strategy and the day-to-day -day work that needs to happen, it, it is definitely uh, challenging because particularly in an operations role, as you know, we have incoming requests, things break, things need to be done, things have to happen. But at the same time, we have to build systems, processes, infrastructures that are gonna hold mm -hmm. for at least a couple of quarters, <laughs> ideally for, for the longer term in, in, and help the company scale. And it's really this balancing out that everyone is doing um, between, okay, what am I going to do today? And how is that going to help me reach my goals tomorrow? And prioritization is, is extremely important. And I think that's what I emphasize the most with my team is beginning of the week, what are the three things you're going to do um, today? What are, the, what are the meetings you shouldn't be attending? And going forward, what are the big projects we should be focusing on? That is a very... Um, intense environment uh, that, that, that you um, describe. I was interested, um, I mean, first of all, you, you have a very, almost very pure play ops background or almost almost rivaling my own, um, which is uh, which is quite good to see, uh, make, makes a bit of a change than falling into it or, um, you know, mm -hmm. mo moving from one thing into another. So that's, uh, that's, that's quite nice. Um, what I was going to comment on was <clears throat> your comment there about, um, time spans and you know a quarter or two quarters you know building something to last that that period of time is that really how long things last or are you able to put things in place that that stay stay around for a little bit longer than that so that, that's a very good point in in some of the infrastructure pieces uh for instance our marketing automation platform we've implemented it Gosh, I think it's been a bit more than a year now. So we sw switched from HubSpot to Marketo and we're, we're still using Marketo uh, down the road. Same thing for Salesforce, you know, th those are bigger structural changes um, that no one should even want to change more, more often. Um, but when we look at the processes and, and the way we work, we make constant adjustments to make sure that the processes scale with the business. Um, and for some of the smaller experimentation work, the whole company has really an experimentation mindset, which is quite interesting and something I, I really got to uh, develop when I, when I joined Sneak is, well, we're going to try that thing and maybe it works or it doesn't work and, and we'll see. And some of those have a shorter time, time span. Um, the idea being, of course, if you, you rip and replace everything every quarter, you're not going to get, you're not, you're not going to get anywhere. So you have to make incremental progress. Um, but for, for a lot of things, um, what we say internally, other urban legend is, um, the company is a different company every quarter. And that's really reflective of that. We have to adjust, we have to adapt to the new environment, maybe external or internally how, how the teams have grown organically. You talked about that organic growth and, and the speed of growth, which is which is 
pretty amazing. Is that stabilised now? And also, how do you, you talked about your systems, how do you find a system that's appropriate for the size of business that you're becoming? Um, you mentioned a couple, couple of tools as well. So are you stable? At this point, I, I feel we're reaching this level of um, um, maturity in the in the company aging you know cycle where it was a really young volatile startup environment and we're growing up as an organization and i feel like the foundational pieces are in place now so Mm -hmm. the big financial systems the big the crm the map all those are in place and the adjustments are more on how we're using them Mm -hmm. and the focus we put into is making sure everyone's trained properly making sure we use the, the tools to the extent or at, at full capacity. And then tools that are a bit more marginal, that's where we st- we're still seeing some fluctuation. Uh, but overall, the, the systems arch- architecture is a lot more stable. And the same goes for the processes. So for instance, we have um, um, campaign operations processes where we use Marketo and we have Marketo as a service, if you will, where we get inbound requests and we have different levels of support based on the level of comfort and how familiar the campaign managers are with the tools. So they're like, I have an email to send out. Um, I need help. Or can you just QA? So we really adjust to the the requirements the teams have. And this is where we've established um, a bit of an internal menu of those are your options. It's standardized, but you have a little bit of flexibility. And that will get us to the next level because we can accommodate for 95% of the cases. And you mentioned you mentioned that things are changing all the time. So um, your prioritization. So how do you prioritize with so many changes at such a rapid rate? How do you prioritize your own changes um, to get things done? So we have um, a rolling planning effort. Of course, it's an annual planning where we make the, the big decisions for the next year. Um, including the spend, what what are the big tools we, we want to implement, potentially major changes we want or processes we want to revamp. And then we have this rolling review on a primarily on a quarterly basis, but every month we review that the list is still accurate. And more than a change, it's it's more rolling adjustment. So mm-hmm. those big priorities will happen. They, there's a reason why they were on the list of big rocks, but maybe we're going to Swift shift um, the the priority order between a couple of bigger projects just because of resourcing dependencies of, on on other teams or or something like that. Helene, tell us a little bit more mm-hmm. about your team. Um, you you mentioned um, advising them to always be thinking about what meetings they should be in, which is a, a great a great piece of advice. How, how is your team configured to to address the challenges that uh, that you're facing? We have three big areas um, in the team or three groups in the team. One is really around reporting and analytics with um, subject matter experts for what we call the user funnel. So people who are using the product, uh, the product led motion, really um, the demand funnel, and then everything that's digital and website. Um, So that's all around the reporting cadence, getting the right numbers, right KPIs, tracking the results. And we have a a pretty well oiled process at this point where we review the numbers with the business on a weekly basis, monthly basis, and we have obviously the, the quarterly packages as well. Um, so all about the numbers. Then we have the platform operations group around the technology, 
centered around the map, but it also comprises the ancillary systems and everything related to data management and, and privacy considerations, which has become a very important topic, um, particularly in the last few quarters. And then the last theme is uh, campaign operations, which is more this MarTech as a service um, team where we manage the nurtures, emails, landing pages, lead imports, every, everything really around the campaign management aspects. Ruff, roughly how many people is that, Elaine? About 10 people at this point. Are they all centrally located? We're very distributed. So the team is now um, uh, centralized under a strategy and operations global organization. So marketing operations is not under marketing. It's under this um, central function. And we're part of the same organization as sales ops. It's a little bit of the concept of revenue operations, but extended to, to include also IT, um, localization, enablement. So we really try and make the most of having everyone under the same umbrella to facilitate collaboration. Um, and in terms of where people are physically located, we've got people in Europe, uh, in Canada, in the US. So everything is extremely virtual, um, which also gives us some, some time, zone, time zone coverage to be able to work with all the, all the campaign managers. So I, I want to come back to that point and, and the, the, the sort of geographical and time zone spread. Um, just, just before that, I really like, <clears throat> excuse me, the sound of, of the team. It's a, it's, I love that, that shape. Um, the, the campaign ops, how, how much delivery are you doing versus frontline go-to-market marketers? You, you talked a little bit about people can ask for help or they can choose from a menu of options. What, what's the balance there? We have what we call the champion program, uh, Marketo champion program. And so I'd say it's probably about half-half where we have people who are really um, knowledgeable about Marketo. They don't have to be certified, but we want to make sure they know what they're doing. Right. Um, so we originally give access to everyone at you know read-only type of access and then once they earn their little star and they become a champion then yeah. we're like okay now you can be self-sufficient and we're just gonna QA for you yeah. um, and then for some users who are newer or just are not uh, you know marketing technology is not their calling let's put mm -hmm. it this way <laughs> we're just gonna make sure um to support them all the way or a bit further down the down the process and we have differentiated SLAs um, to meet to to make that happen. So when we just have to QA, obviously we can turn that around in a you know uh, yeah. one day or two days, depending how big the backlog is. For something that's brand new or require really robust support, we're going to look at a week in terms of in terms yeah. of SLA. So you have end users in Marketo, we do. Um, but presumably it sounds like nothing would go out until you've looked at it. That's right. And we've also made sure to differentiate um, user permissions in, in Marketo uh, to make sure in spite of having extended access, nothing yeah. quote unquote can go wrong. Uh, right. We can't export the whole database or sure. some, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um, we were we were talking in, in our last episode about that kind of balance and it was a bit more away from end users, but um, I certainly can, uh, can see the sense in what you're doing, especially with relatively speaking i'm sure you'd agree carla a pretty small team 
um, to uh, to be getting all that done. You know, it never ceases to amaze me when we talk to people how much is being done with with very few people, and I think that's right. testimony to marketing operations. Full stop. But yeah. um, question from me on the the sort of centralised um, uh, nature of the business. Um, I do a lot of work with businesses and centralization. It feels like it's getting very popular now that people, and I don't know whether it's just a great strategy or it's the way of the world, talking about uh, ge geographically located um, staff and, and, and now how we're working in a very virtual, virtual world. But um, how many locations um, are you servicing? Oh, that's an excellent question. I don't have the answer to. Well, you can make it up because nobody um, will be able to validate it. That so. is true. <laughs> I'm going to go with, well, probably, let's say seven, eight countries. Um, okay. And it spans from, well, we, ha we have people in, in APJ, in, on the East Coast, on the West Coast, in Europe. So we're really covering all the time zones effectively. Um, but the we have bigger um, offices or biggest locations, mm -hmm. let's put it this way, around Ottawa, um, Boston, London, Tel Aviv, where originally the, the earliest offices were. Um, and so the core of the teams are also located in those in those regions. And Zurich talking of time zones, how do you how does that work then? So you've talked about some very disparate, you know, um, locations that will be in very different time zones. How do you service them? I, I'm assuming you're not 24-7 just yet. <laughs> it, it does feel like that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, typically what happens is you have the golden hours between, let's say, 7 a.m. Eastern time and maybe 10 noon Eastern time where we have good overlap, at least between the U.S. and, and Europe. Um, for our APJ team, uh, it's, it's typically a little more, more challenging. They can catch up the, the U.S.-based team on the other, on the other side of the, uh, the time zone continuum. Um, but in, in general, most of the in-person communication happens in that, in that time span, and the rest is very much offline. The workflows are uh, well established at this point, particularly when it comes to that campaign operations piece. So we have an Asana request process, could be Jira, the tool doesn't, doesn't really matter, but we have an intake process um, and we manage all the requests that are coming in through, through that single entry point, dispatch the requests through the teams, and then make sure that we service them within the, the agreed SLAs. So the team is, has gotten used to working really with the system and following the process so that we make sure um, to work around really that, that time difference that could, be, that could be challenging. And you've kind of answered my next question, which was going to be that it, I guess it's absolutely key based on where you are and based on that, that time span you have to cover that you communicate really well with your team. You mentioned Asana, you mentioned Jira. Are you really heavily relying on that kind of updating each other, having all the work in one single version of the truth, et cetera, et cetera. A hundred percent. And in terms of alignment within the team, we have one of the, the things that we have introduced that is a, is a little trick, but worked, worked really well for us, especially during the pandemic was we have a bot in Slack that just asks on at, at the beginning of the week on Monday morning, what are your three priorities for the week? 
-hmm. And it takes 30 seconds to fill that in, but then everyone knows what the team is working on. Uh, if there's potential overlap or if they need to help someone out or who's on vacation on Friday or things like that. So it's a, a bit of a level set at the beginning of the week. And then we do a close up at, at the end of the week with the, the weekly reports. So, so that helps everyone stay aligned in spite of the changes of direction that can happen or in spite of the time difference. Yeah, I love it. I like, uh, I like that idea of uh, what's, uh, what's coming up. Touching back on the... Um, organizational location of, of, of marketing operations. You said it sits within a kind of a central team with other central functions. That's quite interesting. I, I get a bit prickly if I hear that marketing operations is not in marketing. Um, it sounds like it works pretty well for you. Can you just expand on that a little bit? Of course. Um, so I've been in, in that model for a few years now. So we, we had a similar um, setup in my previous company at Beam. And effectively, um, what we've come to realize is individuals find that very beneficial. Um, and I can speak from, from my experience as well. I, I do remember when I was, for instance, at Citrix and I was marketing ops reporting to, you know, the, the VP of channel and marketing. And in terms of career pathing, if you want to go up at some point, well, it's a bit limited unless you want to be the CMO, right. but at the same time, if you want to try something else and don't have that exposure within the organization, it's, it's a little more challenging. Right. And that's one of the benefits of having decentralized organization is people have a lot more visibility on what other teams are doing, just, just from a personal exposure perspective. But then also in terms of collaboration, it's really, we have a lot more visibility on what is sales ops working on? What is um, enablement working on? Oh, you forgot this thing that marketing should know as well. And yeah. so we have touch points within this strategy and ops organization. And we have the touch points with marketing who are our, our primary stakeholders. And we've seen some um, movements within the team between sales ops and marketing ops or marketing ops and SDR ops. And so the transfers are happening with these two teams. You, you've got um, services that I would assume would would sit in MOPS traditionally in my, in my world, although we are here writing definitions of what marketing operations is. <laughs> How do you coordinate insight delivery with the BI team at Sneak? That's a really good question. So the BI team is also part of that global centralized function. And the lines are sometimes a bit blurry, but big picture, the way, the way we work with that team is they own more the infrastructure, building the capabilities at the back end. So for instance, uh, the data lake, the data warehouse management, and then managing Looker, which is our BI, BI platform. Uh, validating that everyone is using the right dimensions and the right properties and like the seal of um, approval on, on new corporate dashboards. But then we on the ops side, and the same, the same goes for SDR ops or, or the sales ops team is we take then that infrastructure to build more operational dashboards, but also drive the, um, the exploratory analytics, the insights, and the cadence around, okay, let's look at the, the results for last week. What happened? What do we need to change? What are the campaigns that worked? And so really driving that conversation with the business sits with marketing operations when, when we are talking about marketing. That makes sense. And, and knowing that you're sitting in part of that or together in that operational group, that makes a lot of sense. That's and, super interesting, yeah. that, that, that centralization. I'm, I'm really right. passionate about centralization, so I could talk mm. quite a lot about it, but... Um, not only do you then get sit closely with that 
but you also see all the information for the entire group for all of the that's right um, for all yeah. the localized areas as well so it, it must be very knowledgeable for you as well it's extremely uh, yeah exactly to your point it's it's very interesting because we get the business perspective really from a marketing subject matter expertise and that that angle uh, but then we have a broader perspective of what's happening in the business in general. Um, and that's actually something when one of the, the new team members mentioned, mentioned recently, he, coming from uh, the digital, digital world, and it was like, oh, it's the first time I see the end-to-end funnel. And I understand, you know, where we're coming from, where we're going, the impact on pipeline, and really understanding downstream impact on the business, which is, which is quite interesting. Um, and, and having that perspective also informs some of the decisions or at least put things in, in perspective. And when we do the annual planning, we have a really integrated process between, you know, three, five-year planning type of, type of exercise. So the, the big numbers, <laughs> let's put it this way. And then um, the top-down exercise and going slow, progressing uh, slowly through the funnel all the way down to the marketing numbers then we do the bottom-up exercise with marketing and um, my my colleague and I were really proud when when we when we finalized the the planning exercise last year because the top-down and the bottom-up actually matched it's the first time I yeah. see that we're like oh when does actually, that happen we're, <laughs> we're speaking the same language this is amazing you know so um, having having that level of integration and, and collaboration is is extremely helpful um so we're running out of time i'm I, I one question i really did want to ask very quickly is you you touched on it you've migrated i think from hubspot to marketo just interested in what drove that decision and what the experience was like so what drove the decision was primarily a number of requirements we had where hubspot um would not allow for the level of customization that we had when it came to scoring, to nurtures, um, to also the, the organization of the, the campaigns in the system. Um, I think HubSpot is great as a marketing automation platform and particularly where we were as a, a smaller organization. But seeing the level of complexity we were going towards, we're like, okay, we're gonna need something a bit more robust from that perspective. Um, it does come as a, as a cause. We, the flexibility means the level of setup uh, in the, the upfront work to make sure that everything is done right is, of course, higher. The enablement for the teams is, of course, higher. And again, where we have this um, champion model with people going into Marketo, not everyone is going to be a champion. Marketo is a little bit more... Um, you know, difficult, <laughs> difficult to manage from, from that perspective. Um, the, the one thing though is, is just like for real estate, it's location, location, location. Mm -hmm. for, for the map, it's process, process, process. And no one will fix a process issue with a different tool, particularly when it comes to switching, for instance, from, from HubSpot to Marketo. And nailing that first is extremely important, which we had already established most of those processes before the switch. So we could grow into more like, how do we support that with the tool versus trying to plug a tool and then, and then figure out, figuring out how to use it. Um, so I think that was 
critical to the success of the of the implementation. Right, Helene, I'm really sorry, but we've run out of time and I didn't even see that sneak up on as it happened so quickly. Um, a couple of points I just wanted to shout back at you was like process, process, process. Big thumbs up from me. I can see a TV program in everything that we can create out of that. So uh, maybe we should connect to the time. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Um, I hope your journey continues onwards and upwards. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you very much once again. And thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Great. Bye. Thanks, Aline. Bye-bye. Well, thanks very much once again to Helene for all her insight and knowledge about centralization, the superwoman that she is in marketing operations. Um, if you want to contact Helene about any of the points she raised, you can do so on LinkedIn. That's Helene Hornica. And now it's time for us to move on to the rest of the show. Anyone fancy coffee? <laughs> And it's time now to catch up with our favorite marketing operations guru, Courtney Makara, as we get together for a virtual coffee with Courtney. Good morning, Courtney. How are you doing? Good morning. Uh, I'm doing lovely, thank you. Great, great. And are you looking forward to camp? I am so looking forward to camp. Yes, uh, in early July in Seattle, it'll be beautiful weather and we're going to be at the same venue that we were at last year, the Cedarbrook Lodge. Um, are you good. guys going to be hopping over and joining us? Well, that would be lovely. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I think Carla's on vacation, actual vacation. And um, yeah, I'm not sure that I can squeeze it in, but you never know. Maybe I'll make a, uh, a last minute appearance. When are you going to do a European camp? Oh, well, we should talk about that. We will talk to the powers that be behind camp which actually they just recently right. launched or relaunched a new website under a new donation well, so let's let's back up for for um either new listeners or those um that that uh, don't don't quite remember what we're talking they about they don't know what happens it, at camp it, right yeah um tell us tell us a bit more about it you went uh, you went last year so what's it all about yeah so last year um i attended a marketing ops summer camp in seattle it was like two and a half three days of sessions of chatting with about 30 other marketing ops professionals but it wasn't a pitch presentation it wasn't a bunch of vendors coming in and say you know buy this right. technology and this integrates with your system it was sitting around and talking about how do we do our jobs better? How do we either get promoted or get more budget or make our stakeholders happier? And it was such a wonderful, really fulfilling, rewarding experience that I have been itching to see if they're going to do it again. And if they're going to do it again in Seattle, because it's my hometown and very convenient for me <laughs> geographically, yep. and they are. So this July 11, 12, and 13th, we will be back at summer camp. And if you're interested, check out marketingops.com. Right. It is featured right on the homepage. Um, and yeah. we are limiting it to only 50 people again, because I think that was one of our big takeaways is that we liked that it was small. Not oh, wow. Like Exclusive. But not to be like exclusionary, but because it was so small, by the end of even the first day, I think every single person in the room had contributed, had spoke up. It wasn't this giant keynote speaker with you know 3,000 people where everyone feels like you just want to be anonymous like we all shared something about our daily lives and our roles and mops yeah. and so we want yeah. to keep it small and kind of intimate and making it a little bit more comfortable to, to yeah share. no it sounds great um I, I was jealous of you last time and I'm and I'm envious again and um, funnily enough, I was I was at an event, uh, just just a one day and um, quite corporate thing, you know, in a in a regular hotel conference room and all the rest of it just just yesterday. But um, and I was I was kind of a guest, really. But 
it, it is that thing of a fairly small group and they did breakouts mm-hmm. and, and round tables and discussions and so on. And they made, you know, the facilitators made sure to get input from everybody. And uh, there's, there's absolutely a lot to be said for that um, to, to get participation and different perspectives and uh, even, even help people out with the issues that they're facing. So it all, it all sounds good. And yeah, I think um, my new pet peeve that I didn't even realize I have is when I go to a, a conference and I want to go to a, see a breakout session or something. And, you know, everyone wants to sit on the seat on the aisle. Right. And so the first people that get there, they get the chair on the aisle. Right. So you can, like climb over them and, yeah. <laughs> and you've got your bag and your laptop. You're and coughing COVID in their face. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. Of that. Whereas, <laughs> whereas camp is, I just, I imagine you're all just sitting cross-legged in a, in a little, in a little <laughs> opening in, in the woods somewhere. Playing guitars and singing Kumbaya. <laughs> I'm just going to let you keep that, uh, that visual in your mind. Right. Right. Marshmallows and fires. I've got, I've got it. I've got a vision and I'm really good that I can't be there actually because mm. It feels like, and I do agree with the the intimacy or the the exclusivity of it. Yeah. I feel like you'll actually talk about real subjects. You'll actually yeah. help the people that are there, wow. and things will get actioned mm-hmm. rather than you all sitting listening to something. Well, I, I think I think what we need to do next next year or or next time is a live podcast from camp. Ooh, from nice. Camp. <laughs> I like it. I like I'll, it. I'm packing um, my bag right now. Fabulous. I like it. And then I also like the idea of having, you know, camp in other parts of the world. Um, I know last year they did one in Atlanta, Georgia, as well as Seattle. Um, So I'll talk to the the leaders, you know, Mike Rizzo is kind of the leading the helm for marketingops.com and their events. We can see if we can get an international camp. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Sponsored by Wopsmops. So anyway, um, what else are you seeing happening, Courtney? Um, yeah, so this week I can't ignore what has been going on on LinkedIn and LinkedIn, there's lots going on there these days. I feel like <laughs> it has really changed as a platform in probably the last 12 to 18 months. Right. Um, but now early June, I feel like there's so many layoffs happening um, and I feel like I can't log in without seeing someone who's either had a job offer rescinded or, you know, has been part of a big layoff at their company and, I think, you know, my heart goes out to people. I definitely want to volunteer if I can help in any way, even if it's just a pep talk or a resume review, but I'm curious if you guys are feeling the same kind of purse tightening strings happening over in the UK. Do you know what? It's a great topic, great conversation to have, particularly as we only spoke about this on a, a couple of episodes ago, the, the sort of great resignation where there were more jobs. And I did read somewhere there are now more jobs available than there are people out of work in the UK. However, what's intriguing about this, Courtney, is what happens where you are tends to start what happens where we are. So um, maybe this is something we need to, to take heed of. What about you, Simon? Have you, have you read anything or seen anything? Certainly, I don't think, as you say, really, the, the effect has, has, has washed up on our shores quite yet. And it could just be the, the, the differences between the, the tech sectors. Um, in the UK, you know, hiring talent and, and obtaining uh, tech talent is is pretty tough anyway. Mm. Um, but in fact, there was a piece in the Financial Times um, just a few days ago on, on this exact topic. And um, Courtney, you, you mentioned before we came on, um, there's a, a website called um, Layoff Stop FYI that tracks a lot of this stuff. And the FT piece made reference to that. Um, and, you know, the, the, the kind of, 
general sense from from this was that you know there are lots of job cuts and um, the the big tech brands in particular are, are pulling back um, and you know horror stories almost of people that have quit their jobs from one place to go somewhere else and then to be told don't bother turning up um, which which is pretty devastating um, but the the kind of the sense from from this was that um, it's it's almost a, just a bit of a reset in in the 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 big tech brands in particular have just gone all out hiring and growing and, and what have you. And then have suddenly realized, oh, wait, you know, perhaps the economy is softening. Perhaps the, there isn't the growth or the revenue to support this. Um, and so scaling back, all being well, um, it's actually an opportunity for the, the lesser brands and, and the smaller companies to pick up the talent um, and, and, you know, actually develop some products yeah. that possibly even have some genuine utility um, and, uh, and, and, and get people to do that. So it and, might and not be. There could that. be loads of reasons as well, couldn't there? I mean, and, and you might hear it before us because you're seeing this before us, but it could be a bounce back from what happened covid covid bounce back loads of redundancies then shed loads of employment um it could be a bounce back from um the great resignation where people were taking more money for roles that maybe were um i don't know hiked hiked salaries to try and get people in and then that that's the fallout of that which was going to happen is happening i i just don't know but it is a bit concerning it is, and I, I definitely don't feel nearly educated enough to speculate on the cause of it, the state of global economic woes and how things are going, but mm. it makes me think, you know, well, what, what can we do or how can we support each other if you are in a, you know, current FTE role, does that mean you have to stay put, um, you know, don't jump ship now because you don't know mm. where you're going, and I don't think that's quite a, a safe blanket statement, I just think it's just good for us to all be aware because I'd hate to have the rug pulled out from anyone. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, it, it dovetails into um, a, a subject that I wanted to mention, which was around like we, we're heavily steamboating into recession here in the, in the UK. And I'm sure that there's problems globally, but um, it's where marketing operations kind of need to, to step up and really play their part. We're yeah. talking to clients these days, not so much about revenue and how we make more money, but efficiencies and how we add that money back to the bottom line, which might be repurposed to, to make um, more revenue. And I think that's the, the square place that marketing operations can, can play. Um, so there is some opportunity to say, let's come on superheroes, let's, let's get efficient processes and, and save some money. Yeah, and I think making sure you're not just being identified again as like the team that does the emails or, you know, oh, they just send out things from Marketo or HubSpot or whatever. Like it, marketing ops is, can be so much more than that. And it can be really scary and intimidating if you are in a mom's role to kind of step up to some VP and say, hey, you know, we have access to this data or we can see this about either our prospects or our customers, whether if it's, you know, churn or number of, you know, MQLs coming in or, sentiment or intent data mm -hmm. we do have access to that and we really do need to step across the lines and, and collaborate mm -hmm. with the other teams and stakeholders I mean I mentioned I think cross team collaboration before in regards to like PLG the product-led growth initiative but I mean it really is every single part of the business mm -hmm. um, marketing ops can can step up and help and you as more as you get educated on what the CS team is doing or what maybe the accounting and the financial teams are doing we have so much data at our fingertips and we really yeah. can be helpful. Yeah, it's a classic example of where MOPs need to be proactive and 
step up as you say and and um look look for opportunities and in this case um you know maybe it's maybe it's cost savings and efficiencies or or maybe it's something to 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 drive revenue or or some other aspect um but not not to just sit back and wait to be told to cut something or not do something or make something more efficient but to actually look for the ways to do that and uh, and and suggest them and yeah certainly do that on a on a collaborative cross-functional basis wherever where, wherever the opportunity arises well on that note um which all being well is a positive one and um with uh, with best wishes to uh, anybody who's who's been affected um as courtney says if if there's anything that uh, any of us can do then um you know where to find us courtney thanks very much good to talk as always look forward to uh seeing you again soon Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Take care. Well, best wishes to Courtney for camp. We look forward to hearing about it. And should you have been affected by layoff, Courtney would love to help if she can. Reach out via LinkedIn or at mustangmartech.com. Links in the show notes. And that's our podcast. Carla, what's Mops got to do with it? So I've, in, I've learned one very important lesson this episode, Simon, and that mm-hmm. is to ensure that you get the name of your guest's company right. So apologies to Helene and apologies to Sneak, um, who I mispronounced and, uh, and, and Helene quite rightly put me right. But uh, other things I've learned. Right. So uh, Stefan, uh, our marketing leader, brought us some really, really interesting knowledge around uh, the one thing I've written down that I did take from it that I thought was incredible what he said was around the more money you want, the more you have to prove it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked all the time about how to get more funding or into your into the marketing operations to get more people to build it. To, but actually, if you if you genuinely really want to do this, then you've got to prove it. Um, so I, I wrote a little note about that. Um, he, there was some great conversation around diminishing returns. Um, and then there was uh, another conversation around data um, and there was a great plant a tree analogy in there that that you reminded me of, which was uh, plant a tree. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but quite rightly, if you haven't got any uh, a data in place or you haven't got any process in place, the best time to do it is right now. <laughs> so, exactly. yeah. so if you haven't planted your data tree yet or, or your reporting tree or your analysis tree, like, don't worry, plant, get on it. Plant that tree. Yeah, indeed. Okay, and then our second guest, Helene, uh, from Sneak, um, said correctly. So they've been through such a big change as a business. And in fact, I'm written down into my notes that it was a massive quick growth. But the, the comment that came from her was that it, it feels like a different company every quarter. And when you actually sit and reflect on that, I can imagine that the way that technology is growing and changing at the minute, that a few of us might feel that way. Mm. We might feel a bit like oh, this is a, it feels like a different company, different technologies, different processes, different faces yeah. um, as we need more specialists and, and people around us. Yeah. Um, so I think that's quite familiar in the industry. But yes, they they grew massively. Um, they the, the other things that I wrote down was around centralized services uh, close to my heart. I can talk about centralization all day long. Um, Helene and her team are a centralized service a centralized marketing operation service. And that's possibly um, not the only, but one mm. of the very few marketing operations centralized services. Yeah. Centralization is a hot topic in, in the marketing industry right now. So it's quite nice to see that um, 
that that marketing operations are, are, are pushing into that space as well. So um, some new content, I think. Um, we're trying to see what's different between the businesses. And there's definitely some messages in our guests that I haven't heard in, in other other mm. guests that we've had in the podcast so far. So yeah, right. really enjoyable. Courtney, and then there's Courtney. <laughs> um, so Courtney, talking about camp, blimey, getting ready for camp. I can imagine her packing her bag right now. I can't um, believe it's come around again already. I, I only felt like we talk about it a, mm. a couple of months ago when she was right. there and we were saying how jealous we were and that we would book on next year. I know. It's here. We haven't booked yep. on. Sorry, yeah. Courtney. No. Um, but yeah, Me I would found. say... I'd say tune into the next episode where a hundred percent we'll be talking about what happened at camp. Mm-hmm. Although I hope they don't have a, what goes on at camp stays at camp clause. Otherwise we're in trouble. Um, and then the other important subject we were talking about was, was layoffs and it hasn't quite hit us here in the UK yet, but it's definitely um, some data that Courtney's shared with us and the layoffs um, FYI site is a real eye opener that I'm going to spend a bit of time having a look at. Uh, and I think our marketing operations friends just need to reach out to each other and sling some arms around each other and see if if there's a, a way as a community we can help each other. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think the the point from camp and marketingops.com is exactly that. The community's out there. Um, make use of it wherever you, you need to. Definitely. Okay, that's it. There is no more. Thanks again for listening to episode 11 of What's Mops Got to Do With It. Thanks to our guests, Stefan Hadebrandt, Helene Hornecker, and of course, Courtney Makara. Check out whatsmops.com where you can find show notes and also listen to all of our previous episodes. You can also get in touch with us via the website or LinkedIn. It's great to hear from you with feedback, comments, and suggestions for future episodes. Do check out and follow the new LinkedIn page for regular updates. Comment and rate us on your preferred podcast platform. It really helps spread the word. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to receive the next episode in your feed. Next time, we will be speaking to Robert Howells, Chief Operating Officer at Demand Studio, and Lucy Allegan, a Senior Marketing Automation Leader in the Asset Management Industry. And as always, we'll grab a virtual coffee with Courtney. So goodbye from me, Simon Daniels. And goodbye from me, Carla Wentworth.